Well, we live in a world where success is measured by the biggest, the newest, the wealthiest, and the loudest. And externals have become the measure of success. And consequently, people are often measured by, by what they wear, uh, what they drive, or what they own, and uh, are their natural abilities that they have which leads to people quietly measuring themselves to others and which leads to deep feelings of inferiority. Allow me to give you some surprising information about inferiority. While it has nothing to do with IQ, often those with higher IQs have more inferiority than those with lower IQs. Secondly, inferiority is often not noticeable on the surface. People have ways of covering it or masking it, and um, there's a number of ways they compensate, they, they do this. Often inferiority is covered by being loud and boisterous, uh, just appearing that you've really got it all together. Uh, it can be another way is just sarcasm. Inferiority is often masked by a sarcastic attitude. Thirdly, inferiority is something that many, many people wrestle with. Even the most successful people wrestle with inferiority. Uh, I think it was some time ago I remember the story of, of, a, of a man who grew up in a trailer court. Uh, he... Uh, was, which was in the poor section of town. And as he went to school, he was teased by students about the clothes he wore. This man grew up to be very, very successful. He worked six, seven days a week. And when asked why, I mean, this man had more wealth than he could ever spend, why he kept on working, he says, I will never, ever be in a trailer court again. He was carrying deep feelings of inferiority. I think most of you would be surprised how many in this congregation struggle with feelings of inferiority. And just to be transparent this morning, it's something I have struggled with or wrestled with. I grew up, in my growing up years, I was kind of small. I was smaller. That has changed a little bit. (laughs) I filled out well. And, uh, (laughs) but I was small. I was, uh, athletics were not my thing. I wasn't very coordinated. I was small. Um, I was kind of a klutz. And consequently, when it came to athletics, uh, I certainly wasn't chosen the first. I tended to be chosen towards the last. And uh, it, Athletics really intimidated me, and uh, even today, athletics is not something that I tend towards. I don't keep track of sports, so inferiority is one of those. I mean, was one of those areas of life that I was really intimidated by. So I want you to know this morning that this message is just as much for me as it is for any of you. Well, I want to welcome you to this part of our worship, to the exposition of the living word of God. 
And I want God to, I want you to allow God this morning to, to speak to those deep feelings of inferiority that some of you are carrying. And I want you to know this morning that even some of the greatest men of Scripture, some of those spiritual giants wrestled with inferiority. We're going to be looking at three men this morning. The first is Moses. And the reason that Moses is, is feeling inferior is that he really messed up big earlier in his life. He, uh, he committed murder. He took a man's life, and he had to flee because of it. He uh, flees to Midian to uh, tend sheep for his father-in-law, Jethro the priest. And for 40 years, he's lived in obscurity. His life's in a rut. Uh, you can probably imagine he's kind of wrapped up in himself. He's 80 years old. He's a nobody. And he sees this bush on fire, and he stops to take a look at it because what was different about it is it wasn't being consumed. And we, we, so we come in here to Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, and when the Lord's and when the Lord saw that he turned to see, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said unto Moses, Moses, he said, Here I am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from, this, thy, from thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which, which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by the reason for their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the land of Egypt, out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them hither out of the land unto a good land and a large unto a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, and unto the place of the Canaanites and of the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Termites <laughs> and, and even the Hivites and the Jebusites. That, that, was, that wasn't in there. <laughs> now therefore, behold the cry of the children of Israel. Now therefore, behold the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. And come now therefore, I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This was Moses' calling, his commission by God, and Moses heard only three, four words, I will send thee, and all of a sudden, all those feelings of inferiority came to the surface, those failures, those, those feelings of not, of, of not being valued came to the surface, and Moses said, whoa, whoa, whoa. He applies the brakes. I don't want you to mistake this for humility. This is not humility. Humility is that deep, quiet, unshakable confidence that someone has in God. What we see here in Moses is not humility. This is inferiority. 
Look at verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel? But Moses is saying, But God, I'm a nobody. And God assures him that he will be with him, but he does something more than that. He says, Moses, one day your feet will be serving me on this mountain. He gives Moses a glimpse of the future as a token. And you'd think that would settle it for Moses, but not for Moses. Oh, no. That doesn't settle it. He says, uh, if I come to the children of Israel, and uh, who do I tell them that, that sent me? And look at what, what he says in verse 14. And God said to him, I am that I am. And he said, thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. The ever-present eternal God, I am that I am. Where was Moses looking? He wasn't looking at God. Moses was looking at himself. Moses wasn't considering the power of God. He was considering his own abilities, his own failures. So God gives Moses a Sunday school lesson on the power of God. He tells Moses to take his staff and throw it on the ground. And Moses does so, and it turns into a snake. And Moses suddenly re realizes there's one thing he's good at. He starts running. <laughs> he flees, it says. And God says, wait a minute, Moses, wait a minute. Come back here. Pick up the snake again by its tail. And Moses does. He comes back, picks up the snail by its snake by its tail, and it turns back into a staff. But Moses is still not convinced. He's still applying the brakes to this. His eyes are still on himself. So Moses, so God asks, takes, tells Moses to put his hand in his bosom and it, it becomes leprous. And he tells him to take it back out and it becomes whole again. But that still isn't enough. You see, I don't think Moses doubted that God could do great things. But what Moses doubted was that God could do great things with him. You see, that's what inferiority does to us. If you're carrying feelings of inferiority, you're probably doubting that God could do great things with your life. Notice what Moses says in verse 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither hitherto, nor since hast thou spoken unto thy servant, for I am slow of speech and, have a sl and, have, and of a slow tongue. God, I'm not a speaker. I'm not, I'm not good on my feet. I don't do well in front of people. I'm not a man of many words. I have a heavy speech and a heavy tongue. How many of you can say amen with Moses this morning? 
Do you realize that public speaking very quickly brings to the surface insecurities and inferiority? How many of you struggle with public speaking? How many of you think you're not eloquent? Do you realize you've all just told on yourself? <laughs> Who says you have to be eloquent? Well, I want to help all of you this morning. I want to give you my method. On your first speech, you fill your mouth with marbles. And you give the speech. And every speech thereafter, you remove one marble. And by the time you lose your marbles, you'll be a great speaker. <laughs> there are probably better methods to this. But isn't it amazing how many people find excuses not to speak publicly? Notice what God tells Moses. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made a man's mouth? Who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Isn't it, isn't it I who, who made your mouth? You know, um, I'll just be candid this morning. You know, as in the earlier years of my ministry, uh, I was deeply envious of those who seemed very gifted at public speaking. Um, it seemed like often I would come up here and kind of stumble over myself. And, uh, but uh, I'm just learning. As, you know, as I look back over the many situations that I've been in, and I've often been in situations that are they're kind of tough. And as I look at those situations, I've often things, I've, I've shared things that I, I come back, it's like, where did that come from? And I realize those weren't my words, those were God's words. And uh, so God is able to use all of us. It doesn't mean you have to be eloquent, uh, gifted, unnecessarily. But Moses is still, not, is still not convinced. Notice what he says. And he said, O my Lord, I pray thee by the hand of whom thou wilt send. He's, what Moses is saying, O Lord, I'm sure it will please thee to send whoever you else you want. He's still got his feet stuck. He's not moving. And God gets angry. And he sees Aaron coming, and uh, God says, well, Aaron can help you, because Aaron is well-spoken. It's ironic, it's Aaron that went on to lead the children of Israel in building a golden calf. You know, I think Moses often probably looked back at this moment and wished he could have redone it, as he considered the impact the opportunity he had and didn't take it. There's a second man I want to introduce to you, and his name is Jeremiah. It's a little shorter, and uh, it's uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, 
Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nations. So we have God saying, Jeremiah, I made you, but not only did I, did I make you, I ordained you for a special purpose. I've set you apart to be a prophet for me, to speak my words, to be a Verizon to the nations. You are going to be my mouthpiece. And Jeremiah says, amazing, bring it on, Lord. No. That's not, what, that's not what Jeremiah said. Look what he says. Then said I, uh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a child. Notice the insecurity again. I can't speak. I'm just young. Who's going to listen to me? I, I don't have charisma. I'm not eloquent. I don't have the things it takes to be a speaker. Verse 7. But the Lord said unto me, Say not that I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I send thee, and whatsoever I command, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Now there's something in this verse that all of you should come to understand about inferiority. At the bottom of your inferiority, is there is a fear of people. Be not afraid of their faces, God tells him. There's a fear of what people will think, what they will do, and what they're going to say when you speak. God says, I'm going to be with you. Notice what he says, verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand, and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. God's antidote to inferiority is intimacy from him and his word. God's word and God's touch is the antidote to a fear of people. It's said there's a big difference between a flesh a flesh, a, a preacher of the flesh and a preacher that is spirit-filled. One just went and the other is sent. One has to say something and the other has something to say. There's a big difference between the two. Now I want to introduce to you the third man. And this man overcame... The inferiority, we see it in his words, he overcame inferiority. We're not sure about Moses and, and Jeremiah, but this man surely did. And his name is the prophet Amos. Amos chapter 7, let me give you a little bit of background to Amos. Amos had every reason to feel inferior. He didn't come from uh, a high place in society. 
He uh, didn't have any formal schooling or formal teaching. There were no speech classes. He didn't have any of that. In fact, um, from Scripture, it doesn't seem that he was very attractive. He wasn't well-dressed. He wasn't eloquent. And he was, the, he was a sycamore fruit picker. He picked sycamore fruit. And there's something about this you need to know. In order to, when you pick this fruit, not only do you have to pick it, you have to prepare it for the buyer. And the way you prepare it is by squeezing it or mashing it with your fingers. And what it does is it stains your, fing- it stains your hands. So you can kind of imagine a little bit what Amos might have looked like. Bib overalls, stained hands, not a very attractive guy. So we pick up the scene here in chapter, chapter 7, and Amos is in the court. He's in, pre- he's in the presence of Amaziah, the high priest, for the king of Jeroboam. And he has been prophesying, and uh, things haven't been going too well. Notice what he says. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words, because they were words of judgment. For Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. So, so here we have, this is what Amos is prophesying. So Amaziah calls for him, and they have this talk. Notice what it says. And also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go flee, away, flee, go flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there, out of, there eat bread and prophesy there. But prophesy not again anymore at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. Amaziah is saying to Amos, Amos, just leave. Go go to Judah and crawl under some rock. But don't stick around here. Uh, And and you've never seen greater opposites in one room. Here we have Amaziah. Amaziah, he's very polished. He's very... uh, stately he's very uh, of a high background and you have uh, Amos his beaver overall stained hands You've, you couldn't have two more opposite people you think Amos do you think Amos is intimidated you can almost imagine how uh, how Amaziah must have wrinkled his nose at Amos But I want you to see the hairdo that Amos gives Amaziah. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a gatherer gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto the people of Israel. Who's, where did Amos have his, who's, who did Amos have his eyes on? God. That's the difference. 
said, I wasn't the prophet. I wasn't the prophet's son. I was just a herdsman and a, pick, and a, and a, and a fig picker. And the Lord, the Lord took me when I was following the flock. And the Lord gave me the words to say. This is how we overcome inferiority. By placing our eyes upon God. Here's the hairdo. Now therefore, hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be a harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall be fall by the sword, and the land shall be divided by line, and thou, sh and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall, not, shall surely not go shall surely go into captivity forth out of, out of his, out of, go forth of his land. <laughs> Amos didn't back down. He was not intimidated by Amaziah in the least. I mean, he's the Barney Fife of prophets. And he goes at Amaziah like a little Rottweiler. Here's the truth. The truth is so obvious you guys can't miss it. When our eyes, our focus is on ourselves, miracles seem impossible. Life is lived in the same old rut. Challenges are always too great. And life is too hard. But when our eyes are upon God... It's incredible what we can face. It's amazing what we can do, and the possibilities are absolutely limitless. Miracles happen. Life has purpose. Life has meaning. And the, the, the other thing is we know why we're here, and we know what our calling is. We have purpose. Where are your eyes? Who are you trusting in? Whose power are you leaning on? There's an incredible difference between the two perspectives, whether you're looking at yourself or you're looking at the Lord. Now, let me give you a few scriptures to help you understand the value that God places upon you. I'm going to use John chapter 15. It says, do these things have I spoken unto you that your joy may remain in you and that your joy might be full? You know, God's reason for saving us is more than just to survive. But that, our, that our life has some value, has meaning, has joy. And he says, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye, ye are my friends, for if you do whatsoever, I command you. And henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what the Lord doeth. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay, die, lay down his life for his friends. If you do whatsoever, so I command you. Here's the thing I want you to get. God is saying the greatest illustration of human love 
somebody laying down his life, his physical life for someone else. A um, number of weeks ago, there was a a thing on the news. There was a a brother and a sister walking along. I, I I didn't read it. I don't know what all the circumstances were. But this speeding car comes along, and the brother, instead of jumping to safety himself, pushes his sister out of the way, and he's killed instantly. He sacrificed his life for his sister. Now, it's one thing for one human to sacrifice their lives for another human. But we're talking a totally different league when God sacrifices his life for a human. You see, that's just exactly what happened. God valued a relationship with you so much that he sacrificed his life so that you could experience it. He gave his life. He took your sin so you could have his life. He took being abandoned by the Father so you could experience his life. He takes your hell so you could have his life. He faces the wrath of a holy God just just for you. It was your wrath. So you could have his life. And he deprives you of nothing that the Father has spoken to him. So you could have his life. Here's the reason why. God doesn't want you to be homeless in eternity. He wants you to be a friend, a brother and a sister in the family of God. He wanted you. He pursued you. Yes, we are born into the family of God, but we are also adopted into the family of God. All of you know how tedious the process is to adopt a child. It's a long process, takes quite a few funds to adopt someone. But imagine what the length that God took to adopt you. He adopted you. He pursued you. But the great news is that He gives you, he did it so you could have a relationship with a heavenly father. And this relationship, in this relationship, there is no butler that you have to go through to get to the father. It's not St. Peter, St. Andrew, or St. Margaret that we need to go through. We go straight to the father. Because of what Jesus has done, the doors of heaven are open to you. It's wide open to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to your Heavenly Father. Because He values a relationship with you. He cares about you. There's another scripture I want you to see. 1 Corinthians 12. Oh, let's let's add this to it. 
Well, this has to be, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Get that. God has not only, he's ordained us, he's picked us. It includes the adoption. 1 Corinthians 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of, of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. He goes on to explain then how that these members of the body are all interdependent. In other words, the foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you. We all need each other. If I were to bring a battery-powered Zawzaw to church here and ask if any of you have a part of your body that you don't want, we'll just cut it off. How many of you would volunteer? None of you. You all want all the members, right? But here's the thing. A lot of inferiority comes in when these members start looking at each other. And we, because we are made different, different sizes, different shapes, different families, there's a lot of inferiority that comes in here. But notice what God says. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased who? Him. It was for his pleasure. God chose where you operate in the body. Every member counts. And there are some hidden members that we bestow a more abundant honor on or value on. For instance, the heart, the liver, the lungs, the kidneys. We, do, we place special care on those members because they are hidden. We put a special value. Some of you do things given special ways to this church that are in the background. But they are every bit as important, even more important than the things that we do up front here that are very visible. Here's the truth I just want all of you to get. Visibility does not determine our value or importance in the body of Christ. You guys all need to know that. Just because one's visible doesn't mean it's as more valuable than someone who's, who's, who does the things in the background. If some of you stopped giving, doing those things that take place in the background, we'd soon fall apart. We need all of you to continue to give. The last scripture is found in Romans 12. For I say through the grace given, this is the Apostle Paul, for I say through the grace given unto me and to every man that, that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So he's saying don't be conceited. But notice this, 
but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. He's saying use, think soberly, use sound judgment. Be reasonable in how you view or estimate yourself. Don't think less of yourself. He isn't saying look down on yourself. He isn't, he's just saying use some sound judgment. Be honest in your estimation. Well, let me give you six points that will help you with inferiority. The first is this. Value how God has created you. God formed you. Uh, Psalms 139 verse 14 says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God created you the way he it was, he, it was he who formed you. You have value because God creates you. Awake to the, all the possibilities when your eyes are on Jesus. Don't consider your life limited. If it's limited, it's because you're looking at the wrong place. Limit your comparisons to others. How about just not comparing? Stop comparing yourselves to the abilities of others. There's some things that some of you are fantastic at that I can't do. But we need that. We need you to give in those areas. Unload your fear of others. The fear of man is a snare, is what Proverbs says. Exercise diligence and self-control in your weaknesses. We all have areas where we don't hit well. Use exercise. It doesn't mean that you give up in those areas because those are areas of weakness. Use some diligence at it. Stay at it. The last is strive for excellence. Do the best. Keep your eyes on Christ. That's how it's done. Well, this morning I hope God has spoken to you in the areas of inferiority. We've all got some, if we're all honest enough to admit it. Let's pray. Father, we just bow before you this moment, and we are grateful for your presence. And uh, Lord, we're grateful for you to speak just to a, one of those problem areas of the Christian life, the, the fear of what others think or say or do, creating some inferior feelings within us and uh, struggling with how you've created us and how you've made us and with our weaknesses that we have. Lord, thank you for giving to us the answer of just looking at you and trusting you and following you, considering your power, your possibilities that you give us. Lord, thank you through you that miracles are possible. Miracles still happen, and we're grateful for that. Lord, thank you for what you're going to do as the living word has gone forth. We would pray, Father, that it might not return void again. 
we would pray that it would bring about change in the hearts and the lives of your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just open it up and